For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com. Use the code word REBEL for a discount on pillows, sheets, pet beds, and everything else at MyPillow.com. Woo! Rebels, it's that time. Can you feel it? Are you ready to be a great parent? Do you want to feel like you're back on your honeymoon? Well, we believe in you and God believes in you. Rebels, it's time to join the rebellion. It's time for Rebel Parenting. What's happening, Rebels? Hope you're doing well. Hope you're safe. Hope you're healthy. Uh, We got a good program for you today. Stephen Arterburn is on the program talking about every man's battle. This is a... Rebel Dads podcast, moms can listen too if you've got sons or if you've got a husband uh, and you want to understand this issue of pornography a little bit more. This program was actually recorded before the lockdown started on March 3rd. So uh, it is airing three months later uh, because we wanted to focus on how to handle the pandemic and the lockdown and how do we survive this without pulling our hair out. Um, but Stephen Arburn is fantastic. This book is fantastic. Thank you to those of you that have been supporting us financially. I am so blown away that you would donate to the ministry during this lockdown when 30 million Americans are out of work. It is such a huge blessing to us. I appreciate it so very much. If you'd like to join that and uh, help the cause, head to rebelparenting.org and click on the donate tab. God bless. Here is Stephen Arterburn on today's edition of Rebel Parenting. Good morning, Rebels. Hope you're having a great day. We've got a good program for you. We've got the co-author of the best-selling book, Every Man's Battle. It's a series, author of more than 100 books. Stephen, author of more than 100 books? Co-author or author. Goodness uh, gracious. I had a lot of help. (laughs) That is a lot. The founder of New Life Ministries, the host of New Life Live, national radio program, creator of Women of Faith Conferences, nationally known speaker, currently serving as the teaching pastor of Northview Church in Carmel, Indiana. Dr. Arterburn, thank you so much for being on. I appreciate it. Thanks, Ryan. Great to be with you. Absolutely. um, You know, I tape all that stuff. Being the teaching pastor at Northview Church, it's northviewchurch.us. Such a great thrill. We're the third fastest growing church in America, and uh, we do that by actually talking about problems. I've done pastor appreciation uh, luncheons and discovered that a lot of folks don't want to talk about problems because they don't want to offend anybody, and they want their church to grow. Our church grows. In fact, I preached this past Sunday. We had 144 people (laughs) make a decision they wanted Mm. uh, a personal relationship with Christ. So I just want to encourage anybody listening, if you're in a church where they're not talking about problems, uh, big mistake. Uh, We need to address it so we can help folks deal with everyday life. You know what? I want to start with that. We're talking about Every Man's Battle. This is a book that deals with porn. I can't believe it's been out 20 years. I mean, you were seriously, you and my dad may be the first two earliest people realizing how big of a deal pornography is. Um, And, I mean, we've dealt with so many ministries on Rebel Parenting, and I'm not talking about ministries that specifically deal with pornography or pornography addiction, just ministries in general. And I always ask, of the people you survey, how many marriages have pornography struggles? And I'm telling you, it's never less than 90%. Oh, it, you know, um, we do a marriage intensive. Yeah. And um, people come in on Friday, they leave on Sunday. And the results are so 
profound that they, we've actually uh, filmed a documentary. These people wanted to do a documentary on it. And I would say if you're at that intensive, mm-hmm. every marriage has been impacted in some way by pornography, you know, whereas general public's probably, you know, 90 percent. And the problem is that a guy will finally admit, okay, I'm struggling. Yeah. Or he gets caught. Mm -hmm. And then you ask, okay, so what are you doing to help yourself? Oh, well, I told my wife I'm going to get up and really pray in the morning and read my Bible. So so you're going to become a spiritual giant now on your own. And this is one of those things where you have to get help. You have to reach out. Mm -hmm. You have to open up because you're going to think this is really profound. Trying harder just makes trying harder. It just doesn't work. You've got to humble down and, and get some help. But I've got to ask, your church actually talks about problems. Why is it, honestly, the majority, and I don't mean like 51%, but I mean the mass majority, it is the exception to the rule that a pastor will get up in church on a Sunday morning and talk about pornography. So this is where I come down. On one hand, I understand. I mean, how can a pastor get up and go, hey, just so you know, about 90% of the marriages in all churches everywhere around the world struggle with pornography, and then, you know, every single couple looks at each other or the wife or husband going, we better be that 1%, you know. You don't want to throw a grenade into your congregation, and knowing the problem is so extreme, why are churches ignoring this? Why are we not getting up Sunday being like, hey, marriage is on the brink. It's being destroyed, and this is one of the foundational problems in marriages that we have got to address. Why are we not addressing such a formidable problem in marriage? Yeah, well, you know, I think, um, and I don't want to make light of this. I don't want to make more of it than there is. I do think that a lot of pastors have yet to really settle the issue of purity and sexual integrity Mm -hmm. in their own lives. Now, I'm not saying we got a bunch of sex addict pastors out there. But I am saying, you know, when the standard is purity and you're maybe you're not looking at pornography, but they're inappropriate images. And you look at this uh, verse, uh, Second Timothy 2.22, it says, don't do anything that stirs up this youthful lust. Mm. Well, you know, the woman down the hall might be stirring that up or whatever. So it's not just pornography. And I think once they settle that, they really want to prevent guys from getting into it, or they want to help guys get out of it. You know, I was uh, at a church in Oklahoma where the pastor said, uh, you know, I'm a guy that has struggled with lust, and I've got to stay on top of this every day. Well, you know, where I came from, I was raised Southern Baptist. There there would have been a deacon's meeting that afternoon, and that guy had been out of there. Yep, absolutely. But he had trained his people that we're all in this together. We all struggle and we've got to be open about that. You know, when, when James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other, mm-hmm. if you want to experience some healing, you know, that's a really powerful thing. And if you want to keep secret about something, then you're probably going to keep the something yeah. for a very, very long time. For sure. And, and as we've worked with guys uh, in our Every Man's Battle, we do a weekend for them. And we've had thousands of guys over, I don't know, probably over 15,000 guys come through. Mm-hmm. And most of them respond. They form a bond with other guys that are trying to stay uh, pure, and it really is a powerful way to live versus always having this little thing in the back of your head that you're kind of a 
bad little boy looking at dirty pictures and stuff. That, you got to be the man and you want to be the man. Yeah. And I don't think you ever really feel that way uh, until you, you get this issue of character and integrity taken care of. Definitely. So before we continue, can you talk to the pastors out there and give them a little bit of direction? Because I feel for the pastor, how do you go to therapy as a pastor? How do you show up in a waiting room you know, with other people like, oh, our pastor's getting therapy? Well, that would be there would be nothing that would make me happier if I found out my pastor was getting therapy. I think it's one of the most transformative things that's happened in my life. And I do know, you're right, I was raised Nazarene. If a pastor got up and was like, you know, I'm really struggling with this sin, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got under control right now, but it's a struggle in my life. I mean, we're out, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. So talk to the pastor about what are some of the first steps they can do in getting through struggles like this. Well, first thing I would say is uh, if you call us at 1-800-NEW-LIFE, if you're a pastor, everything you do is confidential. We work with a lot of pastors, and this one pastor we worked with, uh, he had his sermon on uh, his computer, and he would hand it to the tech guy before he'd he'd do the message. But on this day, a little error, and when he starts to speak, the pornographic picture comes up in the service. And, uh, you know— they didn't fire him. They removed him from teaching for a year, and he got into a program, and he got his church back. But, you know, it's kind of the exception uh, to the rule. I always thought, you know, if he had been a little brighter, uh, he would have looked up, seen the picture, and said, I just want to show you how bad things have gotten yeah. out there. Right? Um, that's I have attention deficit disorders, so sometimes <laughs> I do that. And um, anyway, first of all, you could call us before something horrible happens. Right. And that confidentiality is a big deal. Calling New Life and knowing they are not calling your board, they're not calling your deacons, they're not calling the church parishioners, that they're going to keep every single thing you share confidential, that you can trust them with the hurts that you've got going on in a safe, it's a safe place to call because they understand you, they understand your problem, and they're going to keep it between you and them. And there's, there's just no shame because all of us, uh, you know, I'm a recovering sex addict. There's just, I was so promiscuous. There's just no way you could look at it and say it was anything other than addiction. Mm. And, you know, you go from that horrible way of being a Christian, then you reach this point where you're not wanting something to mess it up up there. Yeah. You, know, you go from, ooh, that'd be cool to look at to, ooh. I don't want to mess this up. So anyway, one of the things that my wife and I do every week, because our insurance covers it, but we do it anyway, we go to marriage counseling. Yeah. We have always gone to marriage counseling. And uh, I've been married to her 15 years. And my previous wife, in fact, your father is one of the first people I called. My (laughs) previous wife had an affair after 20 years. Mm. And when I confronted her about it, she uh, divorced me. So now I'm in, we, after a few years, I got married again, and it's a blended family. Well, yeah. usually blended yeah. families are pretty bad ideas. You know, it's like a hostage takeover situation for the kids, and, and uh, we just had a, an amazing experience there. So you would see this pastor, and I love to tell people that we do that. I also go to my own therapist yeah. uh, who, you know, our thing is uh, working on how do you love people better and what are your motives and all that you do Mm -hmm. and so i will never be ashamed of that and so i encourage pastors what's the i mean somebody sees you in the waiting room 
And by the way, most therapists will work it out. Every time I go see a therapist, uh, he says, now, do you mind if somebody sees you in the waiting room? I can arrange this for that. I go, absolutely not. Right. Don't worry about it. But you can do it confidentially. And sure. what a great thing sure. to be able to say to your congregation. My wife and I went through six weeks of counseling yep. to build our marriage, yep. to work on things. Uh, but that's the other thing is you take a risk. And it, if anybody gives you a hard time about wanting to have a better marriage, wanting to bring in a third party, then you know maybe that's not exactly the deacon or elder board you need to be serving with. I agree. But the other thing, you know, I think you and your wife doing Bible studies and and uh, working through books together. Uh, if you're not willing to reach out to anybody else, at least look at some great books that will help you uh, grow in marriage. Sure, sure. Laura and I have our own separate therapists, and then we go to one together. And there you go. See, you know what? What is wrong with that? Whoa, that's so great. Well, and I was at a, a conference just a few weeks ago with Laura, and I told people, I go, honestly. There are days where I look at how much I've paid into therapy and I think, oh my goodness, do you know how far we'd be down on our home payment if we weren't going to th-? And then I look at my wife and our marriage and the relationship I have with my kids and how I've grown as a person. It was worth more than we put into it. It really was. It's absolutely. worth more than we've paid into it for the marriage that I have today. And I, I absolutely would not have the marriage I have today had it not been for the amount of therapy I've gone to. Just keep telling people that. You know, I, I try to remind folks that marriage is grand, divorce is about a hundred grand. And so compared to the price of divorce, counseling is quite a bargain. Oh, and, and you uh, know, I say this because I've been divorced. I have a very similar story to you. I just wasn't married as long. But I'm telling you, it cost I mean, it was a decade of debt. A decade yeah. of debt to end that. I speak from authority when I talk about how bad divorce is. I mean, nobody gets divorced because they have a great marriage. No one looks at their wife and goes, man, I love you so much. We should get divorced. And even as bad as it was, it was worse in the divorce. It was so much worse. The pain was exponentially greater going through the divorce. I think couples often, I know we're talking about couples and not pornography right now, but I think they wait (laughs) a long time. I think oftentimes couples wait until they hit a counselor, they finally go, and they go, you know what? I'm just sick of this person. I don't want to work hard on our marriage. I don't believe it's going to get better. And you know, I'm kind of mad at this person. Uh, You know, you're not trying, and you're doing all this crazy stuff, and you're not respecting me, you're not respecting the marriage, and I'm sick of it. And I just think, don't wait till it gets to that point. Don't wait. Get in there early. Well... Absolutely. And, you know, if all of the energy and all of the effort that went into maintaining the problem marriage went into trying to work on it, I mean, it's a lot easier to work on it than what you're doing there. But let me tell you how this new book, uh, the revised book of Every Man's Battle. Right. This is the 20th anniversary. A lot has been learned in the last 20 years. I mean, you've got and the book's bigger. It really is. It's. I picked it up. Yeah, I was like, "Oh, hey, this got this got bigger." You've learned some things. What have you learned over the last twenty years that's specifically changing the way you deal with pornography and the pornography addiction? Well, I think one thing is um, the brain plasticity. We talk about that mm. how you really do form a groove, and and so that's bad news. And the good news is brain plasticity that it can be changed, and you can truly recover and not. 
uh, have to always be struggling. You know, will you expand on that a little bit? I think sometimes, especially, I know women are struggling with pornography a lot more than ever before in the past, but I think sometimes in marriage, women's hearts are so broken. They feel so betrayed and it deals with self-image and body image and self-worth and all those things. And they just think, I don't know if I can ever come back from this. Am I ever going to look at you the same again? Now, yeah, I know we can, right. but talk about how the brain can't, like, pornography bonds a man or woman to a situation or a scenario, not to another person. But we can rebond with our spouses and our okay. brains can change. This, to me is the most important thing, and it seems to help men understand something that's difficult for them to understand. Mm. And let me just go through this, uh, and I'll answer your question yeah. in a kind of a roundabout way. But when a, a mother, let's just say a cave woman, is nursing her baby inside the cave, we know that when you're nursing, it releases the bonding hormone oxytocin, yep. flows through her brain, the baby's brain, bloodstream. But it, it does two things. It bonds her to her baby, and it kind of supernaturally uh, makes her aggressive toward anything that would be a threat to what she's bonded mm. to. So if she hears the lion at the cave door, loves her baby, bonded supernaturally, I mean, she'll kill that lion rather than uh, let her baby die. Mm. Okay, so oxytocin is also released when we have a sexual experience. And so uh, that's that feeling of well-being that we have. And it's one of the great things about sexual intimacy. One of the reasons that we want to continue to have sexual intimacy late in life, because it produces a bonding effect that just talking doesn't. Well, when a guy has a sexual experience with pornography, mm -hmm. he is bonding to the pornography because of the release of oxytocin. Yeah. So you've yeah. got something here. He's not just addicted to the dopamine spike, which that happens, but there's oxytocin, which also makes him aggressive toward anything that's a threat to the pornography bonding that he's got going. Yeah. Until you explain this, he doesn't understand, how could I have loved her so much and now I can't even stand her to be in the same room. Buddy, it's in your bloodstream. Yeah. You, she's a threat to what you're bonded to. Now, you give up the pornography. Mm -hmm. You start putting some good stuff up here in the brain. You start rewiring a little bit. And all of a sudden, Fred and I talked about this 20 years ago. You starve your eyes from anything out there. Start looking away versus going for it. And some of the things that weren't so attractive about your wife will actually kind of endearing yep. to you and they'll be attractive but first you have to get the crummy stuff out of your head mm -hmm. and when you do i think you're going to be shocked at how much of this feeling can come back toward your wife but when you confess this to her your best day of getting this off your chest of course is her worst day yeah and so you've got to give her time to work through this we do uh, every man's battle for the men, and then we do restore for the women who are married to them. Mm -hmm. But Ryan, you mentioned women. My wife, she does a group, she facilitates a group for women in our church that struggle with sexual integrity, uh, everything from affairs, pornography, uh, sex change. These courageous women show up at a group that, you know, only men used to show up to, right. and she really provides a great help for them. So if you're a woman and you're struggling with pornography, there is... There's hope and healing for you, too. Mm -hmm. 
Definitely, definitely. What else have you learned in the last 20 years that's new in this book? I mean, there's so many things that have... I remember my dad in the early 80s, maybe mid-80s, was on the Attorney General's Commission to study yeah. pornography. And by the way, it wasn't Playboy Penthouse, you know, what we would then call softcore pornography. This was the worst of the worst of the worst. But yeah, He saw it all. He did. Mm. And at Focus on the Family, he had already received, I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of letters of marriages that were failing because of pornography. He already saw what was coming down the road. I mean, since then, we've learned so much about brain chemistry and addiction. Is it always an addiction or is it, you know, sometimes an addiction and sometimes, you know, a sin every now and then? Yeah. Well, you know, first of all, when people say, is it sin or addiction? I always say yes, because... (laughs) Um, you know, if you're addicted, your life's full of all sorts of different kinds of sins everywhere. And all of us sinners, whatever it is, we're addicted to our favorite sin, whether it's uh, gossip or, or whatever. Sure. But what you would read in Every Man's Battle is that we've kind of taken it right in the pre-addiction level uh, to appeal to more people. But everything in there would, would help somebody that's addicted also. Sure. And the question about addiction is, do you have a problem or does the problem have you? And if the problem has you and it is absolute, there is no restraint, no control, then you go from, you just got to say, okay, but I don't care if you call it an addiction or not, just call it a problem. Yeah. And we all deal with whatever level of problem it is. And there's no social pornography use. You know, it, you either use yeah. it or you don't. Yeah. And when you stop, things start to change for you. But another thing that is just so obvious about all this, about three years ago, Time Magazine uh, did a cover story on teenagers that were giving up pornography. And, uh, you know, it wasn't because they had some spiritual awakening, but they realized, just like a lot of people do, pornography neuters you as a male. And the pornified man will experience erectile dysfunction with a real-life human being, woman, but won't have erectile dysfunction with pornography because it's all about you. This is kind of a freaky thing, right, Mm -hmm. that we've learned. The women in the most uh, hardcore pornography stuff often are testosteroneized women. They're kind of strong, and and you get the feeling they're going to take over, and they're going to and, and so if a guy doesn't have good relationships with other men, he's kind of attracted more to that strong, beefy woman, sure. not the little sure. sweet little thing there. And it's really fascinating to get a guy to go, oh, my gosh, look at what I'm looking at yeah. here. And um, But I got to tell you, when you're using pornography, it's a tragedy about the women on the other side. They don't want you, even though they look like they do. And most of them are not enjoying what they're doing. 87% of them would get out of it if they could find another way uh, to make a living. 87%. And your most direct link to sex trafficking is any kind of click on pornography. You say, I'm not buying pornography. Well, but a click has value to somebody. And uh, you're funding an industry. They kidnap little girls and they force them and they force older women into pornography and other things in the industry. So uh, look, if you have any ability to hear this, and a lot of times people don't, if you could go from justifying what you do 
to trying to just say maybe my life would be better uh, if I could find a way to be free, then get some help for it. Read the book sure. and uh, sure. or call us one eight hundred New Life and experiment. You're a big experimenter with pornography. Experiment with not using it. Uh, I think you'll be astounded at how much better you feel about yourself. And you know, a lot of times we are like adolescents. An adolescent's looking for everything that'll feel good. Mm-hmm. But as an adult, you eventually go to thinking, well, yeah, but what makes me feel good about myself that lasts a long time? And that's what we're really calling uh, men to do is do things that make you feel good about yourself. Definitely. You know, you mentioned an interesting thing about pornography neutering men. There is a trend amongst younger married couples about, quote unquote, not needing sex. And I find it disturbing and fascinating. I'm shocked Except when you look at, you know, the demasculinization of our society saying there is toxic masculinity and essentially the yeah. the desires of men are disgusting and wrong. You know, it leads us to believe that maybe sex is a bad thing and it is dirty and we don't really need it in a marriage. Talk to those young marrieds that are like, oh, we don't really need it. Very. When couples come to us for coaching and we ask about their sex life and it's like, oh, yeah, we just don't really need it that much. I think, oh, there is something going on here. There's something wrong with this. Right. Well, I want to clarify two things. Actually, one of the things that we work with men is is helping them understand that sex isn't a need for you as an individual. No one dies of lack of sex. You don't blow up or something like that. You know, the body has a way of taking care of things. And so it isn't a need. But I got to tell you, sex is such an amazing experience when everything is working correctly. The problem is, it takes a deep heart level connection of mutual respect, understanding to get to that place where it's a good experience for both people. Mm-hmm. Plus, you know, you're not just having sex with the person in bed with you. You're having sex with uh, the person that inside of their head, maybe they were abused, maybe yep. uh, other yep. things like that. And so there's a lot of things that need to be dealt with. But what a great thing when couples say, let's go to work on this stuff. And then they have sexual intimacy. Now, I'm not bragging here. Uh, I admit a lot of problems in my life. But I have to tell you, uh, my wife, we've been married uh, 15 years, and we're having the very best sexual intimacy experience ever. Now, not to be bragging, I want to tell you, I didn't have sex with her before we got married. And so I said some really stupid things, Ryan, and I I wish I could take back. But uh, I said things like, well, once we get married uh, on the honeymoon, I'm going to send you to the moon. Now, that was not the dumbest thing I've ever said, because on the honeymoon, I don't think she got much above the hedges outside the window. And uh, it was not a good experience. Yeah. So a few months after we're married, she's looking at this website and she goes, hey, honey, look at this. There's a place you can go. And this couple, they're both physicians, very conservative. They teach people how to be sexually intimate uh, if they don't know how to do that very well. And I go, oh, that's so fast. And then I realize, oh, yeah, she's wanting yeah. us to Oh, she's talking because, about you. Uh, right. Yeah. You know, that's an interesting she's, thing. Our culture, I've talked about this a couple of times, our culture has this picture painted that the best sex you're going to have, the most acrobatic, the loudest, the, the most intimacy you're going to have is either before you're married or if, if you're a believer, it'll be your first year of marriage is going to be crazy 
and then after that, it always declines. It always goes downhill. It is such a sitcom trope. It's such a rom-com, you yep. know, film trope that the best it's going to be is your first year, maybe second, probably just the first though, and then it's going to decline after that. And I think, are you kidding? It ought to be the opposite. You get better the more you do it. The better, the more you practice. The better you know your spouse. The better, the more intimate you get. As time goes on, but there's that belief that it's supposed to go down, and then you get a decade into marriage, and you're like, man, we never do it anymore. You're like, but I guess that's how it's supposed to be, and it's not supposed to be that way. It's supposed to get better and better and better as you are married longer and longer. Well, that is so true, and we started really at a horrible place. I didn't know what I was doing, and uh, fortunately, we went to this thing, and it really did change so much. And that's why I always wanted to do this uh, marriage intensive that we do, because it's an intimacy intensive at every level. But it caused a lot of problems for us. And I remember going to uh, the marriage counselor and and the marriage counselor says to my wife, Misty, uh, how do you feel about Steve? And she said, I don't feel anything. Uh, And then she says to me, how do you feel? And I said, I don't feel anything for her either. And she said, "Okay, well, we've got something in common. Let's uh, let's work with that. You both are at nothing." And really, we we started working as a married couple toward uh, emotional, spiritual, uh, and physical intimacy. And like I just said, we went from horror to these are the best times ever. And uh, we actually wrote a, a book about this called the Mediterranean Love Plan, where oh, yeah. we we found these where people are having sex into their 80s yep. and even 90s. Yep. They're never saying. We don't need this. What a sad thing that you would believe some kind of fatal lie like that. Like, we don't need it so much. Hey, it doesn't matter if you need it. When it's wonderful, you want it, and you're willing to do some things Mm -hmm. to be sure that that happens. So I would say, just as we are saturated uh, with pornography within the church, we are also very sexually ignorant. In so many ways, sure. too. We need a lot of help. I got to tell you, I got to give a plug for the Mediterranean Love Plan. I told you this before. <laughs> I'm a little embarrassed by it, but I remember the publisher sent this box. It had the book. It had a candle. It had pasta. It had uh, some things in it. And I was like, really? Okay. And I pawned it off on our producer, and I was like, I guess take a look at this. And I'm not kidding. It was like a day or two later, she called and was like, this book is brilliant. And I was like, Really? Are you sure? What book are you looking at? I'm, I'm so embarrassed to say that. It was so good. We went through a program called The Upgrade where we would spend one solid month on a book. I would do videos every single week. We did study guides for, and we used the Mediterranean Love Plan. It's a fantastic couple's book. It really is a fantastic couple's book. Yeah, and, and it, it's not just about sexual intimacy, but it's it's about enjoying all different Yep ways of being together mm-hmm. uh, and, and in every we had seven cultures and every one we gave you 13 different things to do but my point there would be that sexual intimacy doesn't have to die and one of the things of that book that we discovered which we were shocked at from the research of a Dr. Earl Hensland mm-hmm. that the most sexually satisfied women are Jewish women in Israel and it's because they are so honored yep. The men treat them so well, and these rabbis give these men this little sexual bill of rights. 
And it's not what you'd think. It says, you know, you must not deny your wife. Uh, you must not travel too far away. You must never demand sex. You must never have sex while you're uh, drunk. All these great, great things. And it's almost like something you'd think people were giving men over in our Western culture. But women are honored there. And I'm going to tell you guys, the more you honor her, mm-hmm. Uh, the more likely they're going to end up at some point having a very, very wonderful sexually fulfilling marriage there. Don't give up on it. Don't let it die. Definitely. Stephen, clearly there are people listening right now that struggle with pornography. It just yeah. it's a statistical number. It has to be that way. We've got enough downloads to where someone listening is like, I know you guys are talking about this. I don't know what to do. I feel trapped. I'm scared I'm going to get caught. I'm always looking over my shoulder. I'm erasing browser history. I'm hiding this thing. What do I do? What What are those first steps? Because it's happening at a younger and younger and younger age. But what are those first steps? Either if you're struggling with it or you find out one of your kids is struggling with it, what are those first steps people can take into getting freedom? Okay, so one option is you pick up two books, mm-hmm. Every Man's Battle, and you find a guy and you say, hey, uh, this book came out 20 years ago. A new edition is out. Want to get with me and uh, we meet once a week and let's go through this book together. So you're not admitting anything or whatever. See how it goes. And maybe along the way there, you're able to say to this other guy, you know, I'm struggling with this. Yeah. And, and that can be the beginning of the healing process, just that simple. Or you can call 1-800-NEW-LIFE. You can go to our weekend intensive. Uh, there are every man's battle groups. Our church, on, Ryan, it's awesome. On any given week, we've got 200-plus men in every man's battle mm. groups because it's safe. Yep. Nobody's judging right. these guys. So you could form a group. You could start a group, get involved in a group. And then another thing to do you know, if you don't want anybody in the Christian world to know what you're doing, just go to some secular recovery group and start working the 12 steps with this as the problem versus alcohol or drugs or something like yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that's fantastic. What do you say to the wife who finds out her husband struggles, who thinks, oh, I don't know if we can get through this. I don't know if we can get over this. It just seems too insurmountable. How am I ever going to look at you the same? How can I ever, you know, be with you again and not have these thoughts in my head about what you've been looking at kind of thing? What what does that couple do? Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, um, I was um, having breakfast with a couple in a hotel where his pornography led to an affair and had the affair in the hotel. Hmm where we were having breakfast. And I said to the wife, how in the world can you come have breakfast at a hotel where he had the affair? She said, well, he didn't really have the affair. She said, it was the old guy that had the affair. My husband developed such a strong character that one day I just decided we were going to bury the old guy out back. So we dug a grave, put a headstone on it, and that's him. And this is the new. So I would just say to uh, any woman, if you'll demand that he get help. Mm-hmm. And then you get some help too. Yeah. You can end up with the marriage you've never had, the marriage you wanted, yep. an authentic marriage. And that's what we're seeing is people look back and they say the, the most ridiculous thing, and that is the greatest thing that ever us was me catching him using pornography because he got help and that's when we really got down to business and became the couple that we are today. Yeah. So the bad news can be the good news, but don't bail out on it. Everybody's got a struggle. 
And this is one that can be overcome. Absolutely. And I want to say that happens because of Jesus Christ. I mean, what a crazy thing to say. The best thing that ever happened to our marriage is me catching my husband looking at porn. Like, that's insanity to say, except that through the redemptive power of Christ, we can become new people. We can create a new marriage. We can have new intimacy to where we don't even see that person anymore. Yeah, and you know, when um, in the New Living Translation, where Romans 12, 2, it doesn't say you can be transformed by renewing your mind. I think it's a more accurate translation. It says you can be transformed by changing the way that you think. Mm. A lot of people might say, well, this sounds so simple, but I think changing the way that you think is an extremely difficult thing to do. And you have to really start to get the truth as your priority Mm. for you to change the way that you think. And I can literally tell you, Ryan, that I'm a guy that used to, I was exposed to pornography at age four from my grandfather. And I used to take every opportunity to put something up here in this brain. And I can tell you, I'm a different guy. I try to avoid, I look away, do anything I can to try to stay pure and a man of integrity and character for my wife. And it's just a wonderful way to live. I don't have anything to hide. Mm And then the intimacy uh, becomes so much richer. So I do want to encourage people. It's not just about stopping pornography. It's about starting to be a great adult man of character and have a marriage that you can be proud of. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on today. I appreciate it. The phone number is 1-800-NEW-LIFE. Uh, the book is Every Man's Battle. More than 4 million copies have sold. It's because it actually works. Thank you so much for being on Rebel Parenting today. Thanks, Ryan. Have a good one. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you to Stephen for coming on the program. Thank you for this book, Every Man's Battle. It has helped so many people. Find that on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing this with your friends and family. We love you. God bless. I'll see you soon. Rebel Parenting is produced by Rebel Media House. And when you need a little help with your marriage or parenting, and everyone does, you can find it at rebelparenting.org. Sign up for the Rebel Update by texting the word REBEL to 444-999. That's R-E-B-E-L and the number is 444-999. We love it when you share Rebel Parenting with your friends and family, so thank you. God bless. Thanks for spending your time with us. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Rebel Parenting.